0: Once again to the Perimeter Church podcast, this is the second of this year's Young Leaders series, The Upside-Down Kingdom, Following King Jesus in a Broken World. A.J. Thomas, a pastor at Seven Mile Road Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, brings us this week's message entitled, Kingdom Faith, and covers Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at Perimeter.org.
1: Joining us today, uh, Jay Thomas is our our this week's speaker for our Young Leaders series. If you're new with us, we every year we do a, a new leaders series, and uh, this year has been a real blessing. I I missed last week, but I know how excellent it was, though I wasn't here, and I'm gonna be listening to the podcast of that this week, but. Uh, I heard it was outstanding. And I'll tell you this I was here last night when a Jay uh, spoke. You get ready for a treat. I promise you. You get ready for a treat. And we're very thankful to have A Jay is a pastor now. He's just planted a church in 2008 in Philadelphia. Uh, and so it's a, a great uh, young new church. We look for young leaders that we say God's got their hand on these people as best we can tell and we want to get to know them early in their career in ministry. And this is our privilege to get to know Jay Shanu, his wife, uh, is with the two kids right now. They'll be in the next service. I met her last night, uh, uh, such a, a sweet gal. So we look forward to uh, having these guys uh, with us. And I'm going to pray for you now, okay, Ajay? And then we're going to turn you loose. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jay. I pray you would use him. Bless the teaching of your word through him. May you speak through him so clearly that our hearts might be penetrated deeply with your truth and we might find freedom, not just for our own sake, but that we might glorify you, our great God who grants it. So uh, use him now, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, my friends.
2: Well, brothers and sisters, Perimeter Church, to your leaders and to all of you, it really is a joy to be with you all. Um, I have to tell you that as was mentioned, I pastor a small church plant in Northeast Philadelphia. In fact, I am fairly confident that we could fit our entire church on just your stage. And so, I am well over my head in being with you all this weekend. In fact, I was telling a friend back home that I was coming to a church with some 8,000 folks or so who gather on a weekend. My friend's immediate response was, that's not a church, that's a town, right? So, in in Philly, if 8,000 or more folks are gathering on a weekend for anything, it's to watch the Eagles play and not for church. So, I am needless to say humbled and honored by this opportunity to be with you all, and eager, especially to continue this series you've begun on the upside-down kingdom of God and what it looks like to follow King Jesus in a broken world. So here's what I want to try this morning. In our time together, I thought we'd try to do the impossible, and that is that we'd try to change a common American saying. You see, in America, we have all kinds of sayings about all kinds of different things. Uh, For example, to highlight the importance of time, we say things like, Time is money. Or to stress the importance of focus, we'll say, keep your eye on the ball. We have hundreds of sayings. You might say, the sky is the limit, or you might say to me right now, quit beating around the bush and make your point, right? (laughs) What is the most popular saying when it comes to handling worry? It goes, don't worry, be happy. That's right, don't worry, be happy. It was the title of a song a few decades ago, and it sort of stuck. It's almost the best we could come up with. In fact. Be happy follows don't worry, almost as mindlessly and automatically as God bless you follows a sneeze, right? Don't worry, be happy. Except then, of course, you run into real life, and you turn on the news, or you read the headlines, and you hear of terrorist attacks in London, or you hear of ISIS in the Middle East, you hear of racial tensions growing in our communities and political divisions within our country. And then there's all the stuff of everyday life, the stuff that doesn't make national news or scroll across your screens, but yet they scroll across your heart and mind with sometimes paralyzing regularity. Things like normal day stuff that there's decisions to make and deadlines to meet and exams to pass and bills to pay and mouths to feed and clothes to buy and kids to send to college and health to manage and retirement funds to build up and... On and on and on it goes. In fact, some of you may be here today and just this week have heard that layoffs were coming to your company. Maybe you're here this week having seen that someone in a cubicle next to yours got a pink slip, or maybe that pink slip, it's going to find its way to your cubicle, or maybe you're here this week and you were just a few days ago in a doctor's office hearing a prognosis you dreaded to hear. Or maybe that doctor's appointment is on your calendar and you're already filled with anxiety. In fact, for some of you, you may be here, filled with anxieties and worries and cares and concerns of various kinds. You know exactly what it is. And it could be just about all the energy you can muster just to actually sit still and be here. I don't know what all you're going through, but I do know that in light of all of this and more, don't worry, be happy, might make for a catchy song or a good bumper sticker, but it hardly works in real life. In fact, if you're honest, you might say to yourself, worry is about just the only thing you can do, know to do, about just the only thing that seems to make sense. And if there is going to be an alternative to worry, surely it's got to be something other than trying to slap a smile onto your face and to stay positive and be happy. Well, there is, Perimeter Church, an alternative. One that King Jesus gives to us in the passage we're looking at today. And it's so good that I want to suggest it's worth changing the saying for. If you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Hear with me the words of King Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are the words of Christ and Perimeter Church. They are for you. We find ourselves in this passage sandwiched in between Matthew 5 and Matthew 7 in this section that's often called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you're familiar with the Bible, you've heard that before. If you're not, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. And in this sermon, what Jesus is doing is he's giving a vision for life in his kingdom, what you're talking about, the upside-down kingdom of God. And he's giving a vision for what it looks like to be a citizen of that kingdom, When King Jesus came into the world, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God broke into this broken world. And if you are now a disciple of Jesus, a citizen of that kingdom, then your life necessarily has to look different than when you were a citizen of the world. And it's going to change in lots of places, and one of the places in which life is going to be different as a citizen of the upside-down kingdom of God is when it comes to worry. In fact, in the passage right before ours, Jesus has just finished saying that his disciples, citizens of his kingdom, will not find their security in stuff. Not in money or material possessions, but instead in the king and living under his rule and reign. And therefore, since their security isn't in their stuff, they are not to be anxious or full of worry or fretful. Here's how Jesus says it in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus says, listen, my disciples, citizens of my kingdom, they're not going to be filled with worry. And he's going to give you an alternative of what you should do instead. Forget be happy. Here's the alternative. But before he gives you the alternative, he at least starts by telling you why you should not worry. And here it is. Jesus says, don't worry because worrying is useless. Don't worry, because worrying is useless. Listen to what he says in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In Luke's account, when Luke was recording Jesus' sermon, he adds a follow-up question that Jesus asked. Right after asking that, Jesus followed that up by saying also, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And if you can't do something as small as that, Jesus says, why are you anxious about the rest? Now, scholars have gone back and forth about exactly how to translate this phrase. This phrase, the single hour in the span of your life, it can either be a unit of measure in in terms of time or in length. Meaning what Jesus is asking is, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life or a few inches to your height, your stature. Either way, his point is exactly the same. It'd be sort of like this. All of us have gotten to the end of a day, the end of a week, and lamented something like, there just aren't enough hours in the day, right? With all there is to do, with all there is to get done, we've all said, there just aren't enough hours in the day. Now, what if I said to you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stare at my watch until I get my hour. Right? I'm going to, don't mind me, I'm just going to look until I get my 60 ticks. Now, you might chuckle for a moment, smile for a moment, but at some point it would get awkward and you would tell me, stop it. You would say, that's useless. That's a waste of your time. That's an exercise in futility. It profits no one. It does nothing. And Jesus would tell us, it does about as much as worry does. It produces as much as anxiety does. And mind you, this is the Jesus that just said, if you can't do something as small as that, meaning from the vantage point of the preacher, this is God giving this sermon to the people. From the vantage point of the speaker, God who, remember, is outside of time, who existed before there was time. Who has no beginning. When your mind gets dizzy thinking of what it means. That there was never a time God was not. God had no beginning. Before the beginning God was. And is. And forever will be. The God who the psalmist could say. You are from everlasting to everlasting. From eternity past to eternity future. The God who could say things like. A thousand years is like a day. And a day a thousand years. That God is coming to you and saying. Wait a minute. You can't produce one hour? You can't get that big hand to move 60 clicks, that small hand one time. Well, then if you can't do that small a thing, why are you anxious as though you could handle all the rest? Or say it's stature, say it's height. What if I said to you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stare in front of this mirror until I grow a few inches. Perimeter Church, I am five foot six. I think that's the average height of like an Indian woman. You don't, think, you don't think that I would have stood in front of some mirrors by now. I'd be 6'10 by this time, right? <laughs> but at some point, you might smile at me and chuckle at me, and then at some point it'd get awkward, and you would say, stop it. It's a waste of time. It's an exercise in futility. It accomplishes nothing. It produces nothing. And Jesus would say to you, it does as much as anxiety does. And mind you, from the vantage point of the preacher, from God, The one who, remember, made mountains miles high, oceans miles deep. The one who made the universe so big, we do not have a telescope big enough to measure it all yet. And yet that God would come to say to us, wait a minute, you can't produce an inch. With all your minds and all your technology and all your research and all your development, if you put together all the world's brain power, you can't come up with me gaining one inch, a thumbnail, Well, if you can't do something as small as that, why are you anxious as if you could handle all the rest? See, Perimeter, God is giving us, Jesus is giving us good news. And the good news is you are not in control of your life. Your life is wonderfully out of your control. Wonderfully out of control. You don't control an hour to the span of your life. You don't control an inch to your height. Jesus is saying to you, you're not in control of your life. And sometimes a pink slip or a visit to the doctor's office is the cold water that splashed onto our face to wake us up to the reality we don't control our lives. And Jesus is saying, when you come to that realization, don't run to worry. When you finally realize you're not in control, don't run to worry because worrying is useless. It profits nothing, it gains nothing, it accomplishes nothing. And we would add, while it doesn't gain anything, anxiety certainly certainly costs something. It doesn't have the power to add a few hours to the span of your life. It does have the power to take a few away. Don't worry because worrying is useless. Now you might say, okay, I get it, Jesus is right worrying doesn't accomplish anything. I could have told you that. But then you'd say to me, but Ajay, that that doesn't change the fact that I still have bills to pay and mouths to feed and and clothes to buy and kids to send to college and this marriage to work out and, and on and on and on it goes. So what else is there? Well, here it is. Jesus is going to tell us. He's going to give us the alternative. Don't worry, but instead fight for faith. Don't worry, but have faith. Now, listen, as soon as I say that, I hear how naive and glib and impractical that can sound. It can sound as helpless as be happy, that it can sound like a religious empty saying at best or something callous and careless at worst, but Jesus gives us in this passage reasons for why we can fight for faith. In fact, two of them. Here's the first. He'll say, don't worry, but fight for faith. And I I want you to notice those phrases there, fight for faith. As I thought about this, I added that because I thought, you know, I don't think this is an easy exchange. We dump worry and we just put on faith, one and done, and we're out. I think rather this is a grueling, consistent, sweaty, inch-by-inch fight for faith, a daily war for faith. Here's the first reason don't worry, but fight for faith because God knows your needs. Don't worry because worry is useless, but rather fight for faith because God knows your needs. Do you hear at the end of verse 32 after he says, Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear? He says, Because your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, my disciples, my citizens are not going to be characterized by anxiety, by worry, because they know that their father knows. They're aware that God is aware. What's on their mind, they are certain, is on God's mind. They can fight for faith because they know that God knows, because God knows your needs. And to drive this home, Jesus gives some illustrations. Jesus being the brilliant preacher that he is, he isn't cooking up an illustration in his study like I am. He was just preaching what? Outside. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. So he's on a mountainside, and as he's preaching, he says, why don't you look at the birds or or consider the lilies? In fact, listen, in verse 26, here's what he says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Or verse 28, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says, look at the birds. He's almost inviting us, saying, look, when you leave here today, And you see birds flying overhead or hear them singing in the trees. Would you stop and listen to the sermon that they're preaching? Because the birds will be preachers to you today. Don't ever hear a bird again without thinking of Matthew 6. Let them preach. And if they preached to you, here's what they'd say. Do you see how the birds do not sow or reap or harvest? They don't build barns and gather their stuff. And yet ultimately at the end of the day, your heavenly father feeds them. Now listen... Jesus isn't against work. He's not saying, Perimeter Church, you can all quit your jobs and don't worry because God will provide. Because if you do what he says, if you actually look at the birds, you'll see that you'll never find a sparrow on a branch with its mouth open to heaven waiting for a a worm to drop in. No. If you look at the birds, you'll see that they scratch and dig and search and, and they work. And yet behind all that activity, ultimately, Their creator provides for them. I love that in Luke's account of this, Jesus' speech doesn't just say generically birds, but he specifies which one. In fact, if you read Luke 12, it'll say, consider not just birds, but consider the raven. In Jesus' day, the raven was an unclean bird. It was like the ugliest bird you could find. And isn't it something to us that Jesus didn't say, for example, consider the majestic bald eagle." Or consider the beautiful, peaceful dove. He said, would you look at the raven? If you've ever seen a raven, you want to shoot that thing, not feed that thing, right? <laughs> One pastor called it the rat with wings. And here's Jesus' point. If God feeds the ravens, if dad remembers to feed the pet rat with wings, do you think that he's going to forget about his little girl? If dad is mindful to feed the pet rat... Do you think he's forgotten about his son? Are you not of more value than they? Or consider the lilies, he says, how they grow. He says, look, when you look and see a field of wildflowers, when you think of the weed that's in your driveway, you didn't plant it there, but that stubborn thing grows, would you consider that none of these flowers wake up in the morning and put together their appearance? Instead, he says, but if you saw a field of wildflowers, I tell you, they would take your breath away more than Solomon decked out in his finest threads. And and remember, when Jesus is saying this, this is the days before modern kitchens and stoves and ovens. What did you do with those fields and those flowers and those lilies and those weeds? You mowed them down and threw them into the fire to bake bread. And Jesus says, if God is mindful to make sure that the weeds, what becomes fuel for the furnace... If he is mindful to make sure that the fuel for the furnace doesn't grow up naked, do you think that he's forgotten about you? How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? See, Jesus is telling us, if God is attentive to all that he has made, and you matter to him more than anything else in all of creation, do you think that he's going to feed ravens and clothe lilies and forget about you? And Perimeter Church, remember that a lily can look up to God as its maker. A bird can look up to God as its creator. But you look up to him, disciples, as father. He's a creator to the birds, a maker to the lilies. He is a father to you. And dad will not remember rats and lilies and forget about his kids. So don't worry, Jesus says, but fight for faith because God knows your needs. But he gives you a second reason, and this is the last one. Don't worry, but fight for faith also because you know God. Don't worry because worrying is useless, but fight for faith because God knows your needs and because you know God. Because you know God. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles... That's code for people who don't know God. The nations, the world. They seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus is saying, listen, I get when the citizens of the world fret over food and drink and body, find all their security in stuff of this earth. I get that because they don't know about their heavenly Father. But the implication is, but you do. And you knowing your Father ought to make a difference. That you knowing God ought to make a difference from the world that doesn't. If your blood pressure rises and falls with the stock market, then how is your response as someone who knows God different from someone who doesn't? You see, worry is acting like someone who doesn't know God. Worry is acting like someone who doesn't believe God. And Perimeter Church There it is. Now Jesus is beginning to put his finger on what worry is all about. He's beginning to locate what's going on with worry. There's this Christian counselor named David Pollinson. He makes this point of saying, when you ask, what are you worried about? What are you anxious over? What are you fretful about? What do you lose sleep over? All of us tend to answer that question by pointing back to the thing we're worried about. We say, I'll tell you why I'm worried. I'm worried about my job or my house or my spouse or my children or my health or my future. We point back to something out here. But you notice in the sermon, Jesus doesn't do that. Did you hear what he said in verse 30? Oh, you of little faith. That Jesus locates and zeros the problem of worry to something in here. Little faith. And that's when you begin to see what worry is showing you. Worry is the tip of the iceberg. But just underneath the surface is a solid mass of unbelief. That's what's going on. There is in this disciple's heart of mine little faith. He doesn't call them Gentiles. He's not saying you're an atheist or an unbeliever. But somewhere in this spectrum between faith and heaven-like faith is this grade of little faith and i often perimeter church find myself here can i tell you i am a disciple of jesus i believe in him with all my heart except for the parts that i don't believe in him at all listen in this heart of mine is a real disciple and yet there's this little atheist in that heart as well and what worry begins to reveal to me is there are pockets of unbelief in this heart of mine i believe in all of god's promises Except for the promises, I don't seem to believe at all. In this disciple's heart is this battle for a believer and an unbeliever. A a disciple of Jesus and an atheist. I'm like the man in Mark 9 who went up to Jesus the Father and said, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. If worry is showing up in your life, Perimeter Church, maybe the most godly thing you'll do on this day is repent and confess, and be honest enough with God to say, God, the truth is, I don't trust you. I don't know that you're there, and I don't know that you care, and I don't know that you're aware, and I don't know that you're going to come through, and I don't know that you're going to get this right. In fact, if I'm honest, I wish I could run this part of my life, because I don't trust how you're going to do it. Let me give you an example. I was a not the brightest of kids when I was growing up. So I remember in second or third grade, I was in grade school, and there was this school fair that came to our school. For two days, this outside company would set up shop in the auditorium, and it was like Christmas exploded in the auditorium. I mean, every toy and trinket and gadget and gizmo that a kid could want, and for two days, they'd line up all the second graders, these greedy little kids, and they'd let them run into the auditorium. And so the first day of the fair, they let us all into the auditorium, and kids are going here, there, everywhere. I walk in, and there across the room, there it is, a bright red shiny gumball machine, right? It was perfect. This fire engine red, this perfect clear sphere with these perfect gumballs in it. It was like light shined down from heaven, and the angels were singing, and I levitated over to this gumball machine, okay? Okay. And I get there and I look down below and there's a sign underneath that says 75 cents. Now, I'm smart enough to know what 75 cents is. 75 cents is three shiny quarters about this big. So I go home with a speech ready for why my dad and mom should give me three quarters, 75 cents. Now, let me tell you something. My parents are Indians. If you don't know about Indian parents, my Indian parents don't buy gumball machines. There was no way they were going to give me 75 cents. In fact, my parents, from my perspective, didn't buy me anything, right? My toys growing up was the World Book Encyclopedia, volumes 1 to 26, right? (laughs) If I was bored and said, I'm bored, they would tell me, go read the encyclopedia. We bought that for you, right? So there was no way that my cheap, stingy parents were ever going to pry those hands open and give me 75 cents. So I made my appeal. Next day, I go to school. It's the school fair. There it is across the room, my shiny gumball machine. I walk over with my lunch bag in my hand, and I, beyond hope, beyond hope, dig in look around, hoping to pull out three-quarters this big. I reach in, I pull it out, and I'm so disappointed. And I go home with a dollar bill in my hand, and I say to my parents, I told you I wasn't the brightest of kids, right? I go home with a dollar bill in my hand, and I say, I needed 75 cents, and you wouldn't even give it to me. Now, I am sure that I got lovingly disciplined that day, And I'm sure they must have looked at me and said, you of little faith, you you foolish boy. I'm sure mom said to me, dad gave you more than what you needed, more than what you asked for, as he always does. Now I was just a dumb second grader. But can I tell you all these years later, I still go to God exactly the same way. And I throw my fists up to the heavens, To a father, mind you, who has given everything to me till he had literally nothing left to give. He emptied heaven of his most priceless thing, his own son, Jesus Christ. And he sent Jesus into this world and he strung his own boy up on a cross and spread his arms out. And Jesus was stripped naked, giving till he had nothing left to give. He let his boy's body be broken and his blood be poured out and shed. And I look to that father who has broken the bank for me and I say, but I don't know if I can trust you for rent. Perimeter Church, I believe the gospel. I have believed in the good news of Jesus Christ that he came and lived and died in my place and for my sins. That because of his blood, all the debt of my most horrible sins, oceans deep and mountains high, that debt has been paid but I don't know if I can trust him for my loans. I go to this gospel that I believe, I believe that because of Jesus Christ's resurrection, he has secured for me an eternal home, but I don't know if I'll help with the mortgage. I go to this gospel, I have believed it to believe enough that I have eternal life. When they put me in the ground, I'm coming back, and I will live forever with Jesus but I don't know if he'll know what to do tomorrow. You see, I believe, except that I don't. And worry reveals that there's this fight for faith in my heart. So what do you do? What do you do when you find that there are pockets of unbelief in your heart? You do the same thing to your heart that you do when you find a friend or a neighbor who doesn't believe. You preach the gospel And you call them to repent and believe. So what do I do to my unbelieving heart? I preach the gospel to my heart. And I call this unbelieving heart of mine to repent and believe again in Jesus Christ. It's like this pastor, Tim Keller, he said it wonderfully. He gave this simple illustration. He said it's almost like putting coins into a soda machine. You put the coins in, no soda comes out. It's stuck. So what do you do? You bang the side of the machine until those quarters drop... And the soda comes out. Perimeter Church, I've got all this gospel up here. I could tell you all day about the sovereignty of God and the love of God and the providence of God and the kindness of God. And it's all here. And when worry comes, what should I do? I should bang the side of my head with these truths until it drops and I believe. I preach. You preach to your worrying heart. You say, anxious heart of mine? No. No. Jesus Christ said he is the bread of life. He had come down, and the night before he died, he broke bread and said, this is my body given for you. Why am I going to say, but what shall we eat? Jesus Christ is the living water, John 4. He who drinks of him shall never thirst again. And yet for me, in my place and for my sins, he was strung up on that cross, and he said, I thirst. The living water had been emptied out and drained for me. Will I go to him and say, but what shall we drink? Jesus Christ was adorned in glory you could not even see. Such brilliance on the Mount of Transfiguration that his clothes were dazzling white. And yet on the cross he was stripped naked so that they hung him for all the world to see. Exposed and ashamed. Why? To cover my shame and my sinful deeds. And to hide me and clothe me in the righteousness of Christ. Will I say to him but what shall we wear? When worry comes, we fight for faith because we know God. Don't worry because worrying is useless, but fight for faith because God knows your needs and Perimeter Church because you know God. And if you get that, then you can do what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you, his righteousness, and and don't think that he's promising you a life without trouble. He says, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Troubles will come. In fact, the preacher of this sermon, Jesus had a life full of troubles, and yet a heart absent of worry. Whatever the reason is for God allowing trouble, when it comes, you can know this much, it can't be because he doesn't care. The cross says that much. And so the antidote to worry is to constantly go back to the gospel. We tried to change a saying this morning, so here it is. Don't worry, but fight for faith because God knows your needs and because you know God. Let's pray together. Our God, we give you thanks and pray now that this seed that we trust your spirit has planted. Would be protected from the evil one, that bird that would come to take it away. That it would be protected from the cares of this world that grow up like weeds and threaten to choke it out. We pray that it would be protected from the adversity of the sun and the circumstances that come that would threaten to burn it up. But instead, that it would be buried deep by your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that it might take root and bear fruit sixty and a hundredfold. Please be with these dear saints. For each anxious heart here today, let this be evidence that you are aware of what they're worried about, that you care, and that you are more than able to meet their needs because you have done more than they knew to ask through the sending of your own son, Jesus Christ. Do this and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast.